Good morning, everyone. I invite you to take your Bibles with me and turn to Romans chapter 4. And uh, as you find your Bible, would you stand please with me for the reading of God's Word? And if you do the same, please, if you're in worship too, or also for our friends down in Columbus, please, Romans 4. Our text this morning is small, but powerful. It's brief, but very clear. Romans chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. Follow along as I read. It says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for wonderful, simple truths captured in four words, raised for our justification. Life-changing truths that are implicit within the text of your word. And I pray now that you would use these four words and impart them to minds and hearts that would receive them with understanding and gladness. Lord, I pray that you would, during this very service, open blind eyes. You would open hearts that are hardened, that you would open minds that at this very moment are closed, that you would do a spiritual miracle and make the reality of what is in this text plain and clear and life-giving. So, Lord, we pray today that you would draw people to your heart, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I have a confession to make, and that is that uh, I happen to be one of those kind of people who like little tidbits of information that other folks deem to be relatively useless. (laughs) In fact, my wife calls me a wellspring of useless knowledge. We'll be traveling along on the road, and I'll say, Hey, did you know? And she'll be like, No, and where in the world did you learn that? I just love little tidbits of information, and and I love telling them to people and having them go, I didn't know that. Here's a couple of my favorites. You ready? Did you know that a cockroach can live several weeks with its head cut off? Did you know that? Here's one. A giraffe. Kids, listen to this. A giraffe can clean its ears with its 21-inch tongue. Aren't you glad that's not something as parents we have to worry about with our kids? Hey, stop cleaning your ears with your tongue. It's not appropriate at the dinner table, right? How about this one? A sneeze travels out of your mouth at over 100 miles an hour. That's why you cover your mouth, because it's like deadly force coming at you. Here's one. Mosquitoes. They have teeth. (laughs) Didn't know that. Here's one. Most American cars, when they beep their horns, they they beep in the key of F. That's nice to know, isn't it? That way, when a horn beeps in the road, rather than getting angry, you'll go, I think that was in the key of F, right? And then, here's one. Spring's coming. A mole can dig a tunnel 300 feet long in just one night. Don't you hate them? 
When, when it comes to Easter, there's some other tidbits, uh, useless knowledge that I think is relatively interesting to me. Did you know that the Council of Nicaea in 325 determined that all Christians needed to celebrate Easter on the same date, and so they decided when they were going to celebrate it all together, because apparently people were celebrating Easter at various dates, and that wasn't really fun. So everyone decided to celebrate Easter on the exact same date. Have you ever wondered why Easter falls on the Sunday that it does? The reason is, is that Easter is always the first Sunday after the full moon. So next Easter, it will be on April 4th. That was really helpful when I lived in Michigan because there were times that Easter would come so early, there was like two feet of snow on the ground. And it was like ridiculous. Like whoever thought of putting Easter on this day, right? So that's, that's how the date came about. Here's another one. The name Easter comes from the word Estri or the name Estri, which was an Anglo-Saxon goddess symbolized by a rabbit and an egg. That'll ruin your Easter egg hunt today, won't it? So, Easter, though, I hope you know, is one of the most celebrated Sundays throughout the calendar year. All over the world, all over our country, churches will be packed with a record number of people, like even we have today. Have you ever wondered why? What's the big deal about Easter? What makes Easter or Resurrection Sunday so special and so important? Well, your first answer might be, well, it's the day you celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And that would be true. You could also uh, think of it as, um, this is the, the Sunday that we celebrate the end of Holy Week or the end of Lent. Or it may be that um, Easter was just a part of your tradition growing up, that you went to church on Easter and you made mom happy, and we all want to make mom happy, so you went to Easter. And some of you may have come to services today for that very reason, and we're so glad that you're here. But have you ever stopped and thought, what is the big deal about this particular Sunday? Well, this morning what I want to do is try and help you understand What really makes this particular Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, so important, so critical, so essential to the Christian faith? I want you to understand why it's celebrated so enthusiastically and and why everything that this day is about is worthy of your careful consideration, why it's worthy of careful thought about what is this day about and how does that relate to me? In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, the Apostle Paul puts two words together that help us to understand why this day is so incredibly important. The words are resurrection and justification. He takes those two words, he says, raised for our justification. And these two words create the essence of the message of the Bible. In other words... Resurrection and justification are important. In fact, they're so important that one's eternal destiny hangs on understanding the importance of these two words. Let me be very clear. People go to heaven or hell depending on what they do with resurrection and justification. So, Easter is really important. Now, my aim today is to simply help you understand what Easter is all about by answering two critical questions, and they're these. First, what is justification? What is this word that I see in the text? And why is the resurrection linked to justification? That's what we're going to look at. So what is justification, and how or why is it linked to this idea of, uh, how is resurrection linked to this idea of justification? And my prayer would be, is that you will see Easter as more than 
than just another Sunday, that you will see it as not a, a trivial Sunday worship, but rather you will see the significance of what we are talking about and how that relates to your heart and even your eternal destiny. So the first question is this. So what exactly is justification? It's a big word, and there's kind of this, this thing in, um, in pastors' worlds that you don't use big theological words on Easter Sunday, but I think you can handle it. Okay? And by the way, one of the reasons that we don't use like big words like this is because there's this idea that people have that big words, as it relates to theology, are usually tied to being boring. And I've said this before, but if you're new, here's a little hint for you. Theology isn't boring. Pastors are. That's the reality. So the study of God is not boring. Justification is not boring. It's a really important concept. So what is it? The first thing is, is it, by definition, it means to be declared righteous. The definition is that it's that you declare legally someone to be innocent. And so it's a courtroom word. It's like an acquittal. It means that one has been declared to be not guilty that they're innocent of all charges, that they're free from penalty. And then in that sense, when that legal declaration has been made over them, then the person is declared as being justified. They are declared to, in effect, be without blame. So the word means to be declared righteous. Now, in the Bible, to give you a little bit of a background, justification is the definitive act where God as Creator, legally declares guilty people to be righteous. So God, as Creator, declares over people that they are completely forgiven and declared to be righteous. Now, why is that so essential? Because the Bible is unequivocally clear on three points. They are this. Number one, that God was the creator of the world, and therefore, as the creator, He establishes the rules. Ten commandments, things that are right, things that are wrong, and God establishes the rule, and the Bible tells us that God is holy. The second thing the Bible is unequivocally clear on is that people are sinful, that we violate God's law all the time. And if we haven't actually committed the specific violations of His law in the Old Testament, Ten Commandments, we violated them in the heart. And God knows all the things we've ever done. And so this tension exists in the Bible of God is holy and men and women who are sinful. And then the effect of that, according to the Bible, is that sin, therefore, has a penalty, and it's death. And every time that a funeral happens and we go to the service, we're reminded that we are eventually going to die. And why is death in the world? It's because of sin. So justification, then, is something that God, as the sovereign judge of the universe, declares over sinful human beings. It's a legal declaration of God saying to certain people that they are righteous when they are in fact not righteous. It is a legal judgment saying that you're perfect when you aren't and God treats you as righteous even though you and He know you are not righteous. Now, how, how, how does God do that? Well, it's based upon the undeserving death of Jesus. Justification is only possible because of two things. One, because of the sinless life of Jesus, and secondly, because of His death. Those two things are essential. Why? Because Jesus perfectly obeyed the law. He never sinned. And therefore, if death is tied to the penalty of sin, then Jesus, as someone who's never sinned, 
didn't have to die. And yet, the Bible tells us that he did die. So Jesus was the only human being who ever walked on planet earth who didn't deserve to die. He perfectly obeyed and therefore his death by definition wasn't deserved. His perfect life and his death mean that they become the basis of perfect righteousness and undeserving death becomes the foundation of justification. In other words, justification is only possible because of Jesus' perfect righteousness and His undeserving death. It's not possible for God to justify anybody without Jesus. Why? Well, it is because justification is the reconciliation of forgiveness and justice. We take forgiveness almost for granted. We, we, we talk about it. And imagine, though, in a, being in an environment where forgiveness wasn't even a reality. The only reason that forgiveness is a reality is because of what Jesus did. Let me explain. Justification, declaring people righteous when they're not, isn't possible without Christ's death because God cannot arbitrarily declare guilty people forgiven or unrighteous people righteous without violating the principle of justice. He can't just say to guilty people, well, let's just pretend it didn't happen. Let's just, let's just say you get a, a do-over. Remember do-overs in grade school? I love do-overs. You know, you run up and you kick a ball and kick a ball and it goes to the left field. You do-over, right? And then you get up to an adult and you realize there are no do-overs. Well, except in golf, right? They're called what? Mulligans. You know where where Mulligans came from? Here you go. Um, In the 1920s, a man named David Mulligan was golfing at the St. Lambert's Country Club in Montreal, Quebec. He he teed off and he he shanked it off into the the woods and he wasn't happy with his shot. So he looked at his friends and he teed up another ball and he hit it and they looked at him like, what are you doing? And he said, oh, that was my correction shot. And they said, you can't take a correction shot. He said, no, I'm taking a correction shot. And therefore they called that shot forever in his name a Mulligan. Isn't that interesting? Well, back to justification. (laughs) There, There are no mulligans when it comes to God's law. He can't just say to you, well, let's just pretend this didn't happen. Or maybe you've had an argument with your spouse before. You know, you started the the day really badly and you're on each other's nerves and you're like, you know what? Let's just start over. Let's just, let's just start over. God can't do that. Why? Because it would violate His own holiness. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine that the judge in New York City, who's going to be sentencing Bernie Madoff, remember him? He built people of over $50 billion, the largest Ponzi scheme in American history. Imagine that judge at his sentencing says, well, I know you've been convicted of 11 counts, Bernie, but you know what? Yeah, everybody makes a mistake. So let you just, just don't do it again. Okay, so just go home, Bernie, and just don't do it again. That judge would be in so much trouble. People would be crying out for for him to be removed from the bench. They would say it would be absolutely unjust for him to do that. Justice must be served. Crimes must be paid. You know a little phrase, right? If you do the crime, you're going to what? Do the time. That's right. That's a principle of justice. And God just can't say, well, if you did the crime, we're just going to let you go. He can't do that. So justification involves the forgiveness of sins of human beings 
while still satisfying the just claims of God's holiness. And the only way that works is because Jesus paid the debt of sin. The declaration of forgiveness isn't possible without justice being satisfied because the death of Jesus is the requirement for forgiveness to even be on the table. Romans 3 says that in Jesus, God could then be, listen to this, both just and justifier of those who put their faith in Jesus. You see, Jesus' death creates the opportunity for God to be both just and justifier by counting Christ's death as sufficient for those who receive Him. So, what is justification then in terms of punishment and righteousness? This, This is my favorite part of justification. Remember, justification is declaring someone to be righteous. It means to acquit somebody. But it means even more than that. It means that it's not just about forgiveness. Sometimes we talk about forgiveness, which justification certainly is about forgiveness, but it's more than that. See, imagine with me that this is your life full of negative things, things that you've done, crimes that you've done against God, the way you violated God's law, all of the things you've ever done, the deep, dark secrets that nobody else knows about, that God and you know about. And all of these things are in your heart and in your life. And justification means that first God takes all of our sin and He pours it out on Christ such that then He declares us to be forgiven. So the first thing is that He wipes all of our sins away. And that's where people think that's what people think the cross is. It's just about the forgiving part. And that's only half of it. There's another side of the story that's even more glorious than just forgiveness. Even though forgiveness is unbelievable. You see, justification is not only the way in which God cleanses us of our sin, but in giving Christ all of our punishment. But then what is amazing is He takes all of Christ's righteousness and He gives it to us. It means that He takes all of Jesus' righteousness and He gives it to you and says, I will now treat you as if you've perfectly obeyed the law in every way. So justification not only means that I'm free from sin, it means that God through Christ treats me as if I've perfectly obeyed the law. It's unbelievable. Not just that my sins have been washed away, but it is that God looks at me with the favor that He sees in His Son, and He declares over me, I am perfectly righteous, not just forgiven, but absolutely perfect, even though He and I know I'm not. God does something amazing through Christ. He declares us to be legally perfectly righteous, but it only happens through Jesus. Now, if you understand this, you will know then that this act that God does is an act of infinite grace. If you get this and your mind is opened by God's Spirit to the reality of what this means, you will think this. So God takes the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago and He counts that as sufficient for me and then He declares over me in official sense that I am righteous. That's what He does. 
And the answer would be, yes, that's what the Bible says happens. In fact, Romans says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It means that God, through Christ, takes those who put their faith in Him, and He counts Christ's death as sufficient for them, counts Christ's righteousness as being applied to those who put their faith in Jesus, and the result is not only freedom from sin, but a right standing before your Creator God. And when you understand this, you will know why a slave trader named John Newton wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. What does he see? What does he see? He sees his sins have been washed away and the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to him and it all comes not because of the works that he's done or a work that somebody did to him. It only comes by putting one's faith and trust in Christ and that's why he says amazing grace. So this is what justification is all about. It's central to the message of the Bible. It's the undergirding truth of salvation. It's the difference between heaven and hell. People who understand this and receive Christ spend an eternity in heaven with God. And those who don't reject Him spend eternity in hell. That's that's what the Bible is all about. That's what this day is all about. This message. So, why then is resurrection linked to this issue of justification? If if that's what justification is, then, then how is resurrection linked to this. Why does Paul say raised for our justification? The first is this, that God declares his acceptance of Jesus' suffering and death as payment for sin in the resurrection. See, you've you got to understand that forgiveness is not just the goal of the death of Jesus. Forgiveness was part of it, the wiping away of our sins, but there was also this element of a restoration of relationship between mankind and God. So there's a difference between punishment and forgiveness. Punishment means that sins are paid for, but forgiveness means that a person is restored. That's why asking for forgiveness and granting it is so challenging. Because you're not only saying, I choose to wipe away the things that you've done to me, but now I choose to be restored back to you. So you can't just say, I forgive you, just don't talk to me again. (laughs) It doesn't work. That's not true forgiveness. I forgive you, just leave me alone. Forgiveness means a restoration, and what happens in the resurrection of Christ, it means that Jesus not only paid the penalty for sin for those who would believe in Him, not only means that He was punished for the sins of others, but that His resurrection restores Him back to life and back to His relationship with the Father. And therefore, why is the resurrection here? It is here because it declares that the payment of sin was fully accepted. That God looked at what Jesus did and saw the sacrifice on the cross and raising Him from the dead was His stamp of approval to say, Mission accomplished. I will count that as payment for sin. It secondly also proclaims God's favor towards Christ. You know, for us, the the cross is a familiar symbol. But when Jesus hangs there and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When darkness is enveloping Him, He's hanging there and He's absorbing the wrath of the Father against sin. He's absorbing all of the penalty that God 
in His justice, has to pour out upon sin. And, and that cross was not a symbol of hope in the early church. During Jesus' day, the Old Testament said, Cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. And one of the challenges the early church had was trying to explain to people how somebody who was hanged on a tree could be really blessed by God. How could the Son of God be crucified and still be receiving favor from God? And the resurrection is what answers that. So on Good Friday, the wrath of God is poured out on the Son. But on Resurrection Sunday, His favor is clearly demonstrated. So the resurrection of Jesus communicates not only that His mission was accomplished, but it tells us that God's favor has now been turned towards Jesus. That His wrath was satisfied, and now His favor is turned towards Jesus. The effect of this is stunning. Here's what it means. It means then, and this is where this relates to your world and mine, it establishes justification as a possibility in this lifetime. Now, right now, it means that Jesus is alive, and therefore, by the establishment of justification, through His death and His resurrection, there is a possibility for you to be right with God today. Today, there's nothing left to do, nothing needed, nothing new to learn, nothing lacking for you to be forgiven. The work of Jesus was finished, the resurrection opens the door, and the reality is that those who put their faith in Christ can be justified today. But you can't after you die. So when you stand before God after you die and He says, Why should I let you into heaven? It all relates to what you do in this lifetime. It relates to what you do with Jesus now. So you can't put that off and say, I'll figure it out when I get there. There's no figuring it out. There's no, well, there's this message I heard back in April in 2009. So I want to receive Christ right now. It's too late. It's too late. So justification is open during this lifetime. It's open now. And there's nothing that can, would ever stop you apart from your own either disbelief or pride or desire to run your own life from receiving the gift of eternal life offered to you today. There's nothing stopping you. It's finished. And it may be that the whole reason why you're here on Easter Sunday is to hear this simple message. And it may be that God God is opening your eyes of your heart and helping your mind to see that this is what the Bible is about. And I've never made this sort of reality in my life operable. I've never taken the step of receiving this gift so I could be in right relationship with God. And that's why the Bible exists to declare this message about resurrection and justification. This is why Easter is so not trivial. It is eternal, important, and heaven and hell hang on the balance of your understanding of these two words. Fourth, it announces now favor and forgiveness to those who believe in Jesus. The the resurrection announces that those who put their faith in Christ, those who receive Him and say, what happened 2,000 years ago on that cross? Father, count that death as my death. It means that God will take the punishment He poured out on Christ and will count that as your punishment. But there's even more. He then will take the favor and forgiveness purchased by Jesus and He will apply it to you. He will treat you with favor and forgiveness because of Christ. 
And there's still even more yet. It means that He will take the resurrection of Jesus and promise that one day you too will rise from the grave and that nothing can separate you from His love. Romans 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Why do Christians celebrate on Easter? Because this day is loaded with hope. It means that when death comes, or a debilitating illness, or a trial in the midst of your marriage, or a single problem in your life or the dynamic of a loss of a job that you know I don't live for this world my hope is in the glory of God and the person and work of Jesus and finally it it unites believers to Jesus empowering them to follow him the, the bible says this when Jesus died I died for those of you who have received Christ when Jesus died you died When He rose, you rose. When He rose, I rose. The Bible tells us that believers are united with Him in His life and His death. Look at Romans 6. It says, We were buried with Him, therefore, in baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So the reason why this day is so important is because of the stunning and life-changing truths of resurrection and justification. It means that those who have received Christ, who put their faith in Him, are forgiven. They're no longer condemned. All the sins of their past have been forgiven. Even though they know what they've done and God knows what they've done, God declares over them that they are absolutely clean, fully loved and adopted into God's family. It means that they are free from the condemnation of sin. And even though Satan would try and make them feel guilty about their past, the reality is it's been washed in the blood of Christ. It means He calls them to then walk in newness of life and takes people and fills them with the personal presence of His Spirit such that they know that anything that happens in this life is a part of God's plan to make me like His Son. That's why they live. That's how they live. And the bottom line is freedom. Why is there freedom? Because the Scripture says this, this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Hear the argument. If God has declared righteous, who's going to say unrighteous? There's nobody greater than God. Nobody can trump Him. Nobody is greater than Him. He's the Creator. And when He says, you are righteous, nobody can change that. Remember as a kid saying, my dad's bigger than your dad? Remember that? A couple weeks ago, our daughter had a uh, doctor's appointment. I don't know why she said this, but as the doctor took the stethoscope and went to listen to her heart, she said, my dad's big. <laughs> and the doctor looked, at her and, doctor looked at her and said, well, I better do this right then, huh? So it's just a sense of, you know, my dad's big, you know. I know how big he is, but I, now I'm feeling, you know, hey, my daughter thinks I'm big. My dad's bigger than your dad. My dad can beat up your dad, right? And this is what this text is saying. 
If God is for us, who can be against us? There's nobody who can say you're condemned when God says you're not condemned. There's nobody who can say you're not forgiven when God says you are clean. And the effect of this is the stunning reality that when God says over you, you are justified, there is freedom no matter what comes at you, what the devil throws your direction, what illness comes at you, or what problem in life besets you. You are a free man or woman. And let me tell you, you haven't lived until you've known this freedom. Romans 8 says this, It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God. Who's interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him. And I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is true because justification and resurrection have come together and the gospel declares nothing can separate you from His love. How are they more than conquerors? How are they free from condemnation? How, how are they sure that nothing can separate them? It is because Jesus was delivered up for our transgressions and because He was raised for our justification. In other words, God takes all of His righteousness and He wraps it around those who believe in Him. When our boys were about five years old or so in Michigan, we would always buy them a warm coats and we'd go to church for whatever reason their coats would get lost and in some cases somebody thought that their coats belonged to their kid and so they took their coats and I was convinced there was a conspiracy at church of people trying to steal my kids coats and I was going to figure this thing out so what I did is, is you know good dad solution I decided we're going to put our kids names on all their clothing okay especially their coats. And so we put their, their, uh, their names on the, on the inside of their coats. Hayden Vrogup, Joseph Vrogup. We hung those coats up. And man, I was on coat patrol. I see a kid coming in like, hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I look in the back, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> welcome to church, welcome to church. Just, I, want, I want to know who's stealing those coats. Because, you know, you take the coat, you can see the tag on the inside, you know who it really belongs to. And when you stand before God, you are going to be wrapped in a a robe of righteousness. You're going to stand before God if you've received Christ. And there will be millions of people who know one confession that Jesus Christ paid their debt. And they will stand before Him and they will say, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive wisdom and power and dominion. And we will praise Him forever and ever. And the reason that we are praising the Lamb is because we are standing there wrapped in robes. And guess whose name is on the tag? Jesus' name. You are wrapped in a robe that you didn't earn. You are wrapped in a robe that you could have never purchased. You are wrapped in a robe that you were given by grace. And the only reason that that robe even exists is because of justification and resurrection. So justification and resurrection 
are the heart of the message of the Bible. This is not trivial information. This isn't trivia. This isn't some little bit of useless knowledge. Hey, do you know what the resurrection means or what justification means? This is the heart of the gospel and the difference between heaven and hell. This is really important. And every one of us in this room will be accountable for this day. And the fact that you now know that what resurrection and justification are all about makes all the difference between a right relationship with God and being separated from Him. So I... Ask yourself this question. So why in God's plan am I here today? And I wonder if part of the reason is perhaps that God by His Spirit helps your mind to see what's happening and there's this gentle drawing, the sense within you that says, this is right. I've heard this before. This is true. And this is like really important. And if that's going on inside of your heart, you need to know that's not you. That is God by His Spirit drawing you. And when that happens, oh, how beautiful it is for you to see the amazing grace and to say with the hymn writer, I once was lost, I'm now found, I was blind, but now I see. And today could be the day where you decide in your heart of hearts, it's time to receive this gift and make it my own. And the reason why all of this is so critically important is this. Christ was raised for our justification, and this is the only way that anyone is ever forgiven and brought back to God. Hear me. There is no other way. This is the only way. There's only one way that anyone is ever forgiven because nobody else could have paid the penalty like this. Nobody else was raised from the dead. Nobody else can can reconcile forgiveness and and justice. Nobody else can make God just and justifier. Nobody else can make amazing grace operable. Nobody else can declare you to be righteous without the work of Jesus. There is no other way. He's it. He's the one. He's the only way. And today, Resurrection Sunday is a simple, clear declaration that you and me need to understand that Christ became the means by which God could declare over you forgiven and loved and justified. There is no other way. That's why this day is so important. Father, I pray that you, by your Spirit, supernaturally and beyond the ability of individual people to even explain, would gently conquer the hearts of men and women in this room, in worship too, and in Columbus. Lord, I pray that over the internet people would hear this message and that you by your spirit would make life leap in their soul as they know this is it, this is real. And by faith, pray, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and that you died for my sins. So I take that death as my own. I receive you, Christ, as my Lord and my Savior. Lord, would you birth people even right now into your kingdom? And Lord, for those of us who've made that decision years ago, 
Would you remind us that this is what we live for? Oh, help us to kill pride. There's no boasting in the family of God. The Bible tells us it excludes boasting. Because everything we have is an act of grace. So thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the only one who's worthy and the only way that we can be brought back. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. In Christ alone, we ask this. Amen.